With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. What's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. Soundthetrumpetministries.com. And today I want to do a teaching called The Law and the Gospel. The Law and the Gospel. Now, I am by no means, when I say the law and the gospel, incorporating both together. But you are going to find in this teaching today that there are many similarities between the two. And one was a starting point just to be able to get us to the place of a finishing point, which, you know, for a Christian, all things are in Jesus Christ. So it should be a good teaching tonight because we're going to show what the old Levitical law wanted us to do and what the New Testament commands that we be, you know, which are two different things entirely, okay? The Lord gave me revelation of this teaching to actually present it because I think the Lord wanted to get it to a place where we can simplify things, that we can have, uh, I think I got about eight or nine examples tonight of what we're gonna be talking about concerning the law and the gospel. The law is good. The law was given by God. The law has its place, but you're going to find how closely it relates to the gospel that you can really let one go and adopt the other because they are, I'm not going to say the same. One was without Christ and the other one is, but we must understand that everything that was done in the Old Testament was Jesus, especially in the law, was Jesus Christ concealed and what we find in the New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. So I don't wanna waste a lot of time concerning this because I know that we have a lot to cover tonight and I don't wanna keep everybody on very long, but I am gonna make some key points to where we can understand how Jesus fulfilled the law, what he wanted us to be able to do. Why were the Old Testament things used at the time that they were and why today we have a new covenant? I think in many ways, people look down on the new covenant because they think, you know, it doesn't have a whole lot of words. It doesn't just seem like we can do this and do that so that they can be proud. But you know something? You'll find that the New Testament in many ways is more difficult than the old. And the New Testament also itself, you know, is really about a change in nature, not outwardly performing. It's an inward and outward battle that is meant to reach people with the gospel. So when we you know, get into this today, hopefully people will have an understanding that the New Testament is not you know, something that is weak or you know, they don't seem to do anything, they don't care about anything and that they're lawless. Nothing could be further from the truth. In the New Testament, we now have the Holy Spirit, okay, which allows us to be able to be what God had always wanted man to be. And that is man in his image and in his likeness. God doesn't just want us to perform for him. God wants us to have the mind of Christ. He wants us to have the mouths 
that will proclaim the things that God wants us to. He wants a good man's steps ordered by the Lord and by the spirit of God. Okay, so that's important, all right? So I'm not gonna waste a lot of time on this. I'm gonna get right in. Hopefully we'll get some understanding, but we're relying on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost, who is the spirit of truth to teach this lesson that we may have all understanding. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for another day that's not promised to us. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions, Lord, and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my brothers and sisters, that we have yet another day, that we may be partakers of your word, that we may be edified by your spirit, that we may choose life, which is in Christ Jesus, and not death, which is everything else. And I pray in Jesus' name that no man's heart be heard tonight. I pray, Lord, that no flesh be glorified, for we place no confidence in the flesh, but only by your spirit. As your word says in Zechariah, that it is not by faith, nor by, I mean, it's not by strength, nor by power or might, but by your spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So we just pray, Lord, for an infilling of the Holy Ghost. We pray for a saturated anointing. We pray and we invite the Holy Ghost, Lord, that your strength and your wisdom and your quickening and understanding will be in the midst that we may learn all truth and righteousness. So I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, all jealousy, malice, and hatred, fear, doubt, and unbelief. In Jesus' name, I especially want to bind the religious spirit tonight because I know that this, the religious spirit hates the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you bind the devil, that you keep him at bay, that you open the hearts, the ears, the minds, and the uh, you know, and the uh, the hearts, the ears, and the mouths, and the uh, minds, Lord, that they may receive you and desire you, and know that you are the only truth. And when you came, Lord, to do what you did, there is no man, no covenant, no doctrine that can build upon the work of Jesus Christ. So you are the King of Kings, you are the Lord of Lords, you are faithful, just and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray, Lord, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so again tonight, what I was mentioning is what we're going to get into is the law and the gospel. Hey, Sister Sarah, you know, each one has their place and we must understand where some things belong. It's not that the old Mosaic law was wrong, but that the old Mosaic law served its purpose for its time. You're gonna see how it easily relates to the gospel and all that Jesus spoke about, all that Jesus wanted. And we're gonna get a real look at how Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. Hopefully this will persuade some people that are law keepers that Jesus Christ you know, is not something smaller or weaker or lawless, hey, Sister Tara, or away from the Lord, but it's actually the fulfillment of everything that God wants. So every time you see an act or something done in the Old Testament, it's a sign for something that would occur in the New Testament, not in the same way, 
but only in becoming what Jesus Christ wants us to be. So let's give our first example. Let's go to Leviticus 11 and let's look at verse one because we're gonna be talking about dietary laws, okay? There are lots of dietary laws that people cling to today that they love and they wanna be a part of. Hey, what you eat is your business, but the bottom line is, is that when you try and make it a doctrine and you try and bring the old covenant into the new, then you're going to find that, you know, it's going to be difficult to do what God says because we're under a new covenant. So I'm going to give the first example. And uh, today we're also going to hear a, a video of Derek Prince speaking of this very same thing because, you know, it gives people more understanding that Jesus Christ has not abandoned us. He doesn't command for us to be lawless like so many law keepers believe. But what his goal, what his main intent to do with his body or with the temple of the living God, which is us, is to make us righteous. So let's look at Leviticus 11, and we're going to begin at verse 1. As I tell people, have your Bibles out in front so you can learn, you can teach others, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is all about learning. And with all we get, we should have understanding. All right, let's roll. Leviticus 11, let's look at verse one. And it says, and the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron saying unto them, speak unto the children of Israel saying, these are the beasts which ye shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever parteth the hoof and is cloven footed and cheweth the cud among the beasts that shall ye eat. Nevertheless, these shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud or of them that divide the hoof as the camel, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof. He is unclean unto you. And the coney, uh, and the coney because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof. He is unclean unto you. Now, a lot of people do know that a pig or, you know, that he, uh, lets out a lot of waste. It has a gland under the um, or in the hoof that actually lets out waste in the things that pigs eat. Are pigs unclean? No, they're not. But you know, we got to understand what the Word of God says and what this what this meant. Why was this important at this time and that it wasn't? We got to understand that God was trying to teach people about holiness. Okay, but we're gonna find out just what the unclean food represents. So look at verse seven, he says, and the swine, though he divide the hoof and be cloven footed, yet he cheweth not the cud, he is unclean to you. Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass shall ye not touch. They are unclean to you. These shall ye eat of all that are in the waters. Uh, let, let's skip that part, okay. These shall ye eat of all not in the waters, Whatsoever have fins and scales in the waters of the seas and in the rivers, them shall ye eat. Okay, so God was giving them a diet of fish and marine animals, but not the cloven of footed animals. Now, a lot of people will look at this and say, see, that's the dietary law that God wants us to have and he wants us to do today. You know, it's funny because I want to let people in on a little secret. Just about everything you eat has been tainted, including organic food. So did Jesus think, you know, that when this law was kept, 
that none of the animals that he told us not to eat and the animals that he told us to eat, did he know in the future that they would be corrupt, that they would be unclean? You see, these are things that we must understand about obeying the spirit of God because we're going to address just what the unclean means. So let's look at, um, I just wanted to make that point. Let's go to Acts chapter 10 and let's look at verse one because we're going to examine what the unclean was and what the clean was. Sister Sarah and I had a talk the other day and it was kind of funny because the Lord brought to my attention that there was no such thing as an unclean animal uh, at the beginning with Adam and Eve. Everybody mentions that Noah knew what the clean and the unclean animals were. Yeah, of course he did after the fall. But before the fall, we weren't even supposed to be eating meat. So that ought to tell you something, that there was no such thing as an unclean animal. You know, they were all clean and made righteous because the kingdom of God didn't have waste. The, the Garden of Eden was a clean and pristine place, a holy place, that it wouldn't have had any unrighteousness in it. But let's move on, because I want to make this point. Hey, don't get me wrong. I know that pork is some of the most unclean foods that you can eat but we must go according to what the Bible says and what God says is okay, okay? And um, yeah, so I wanna go to Acts chapter uh, 10 and we're going to begin at verse one. What was the Lord really talking about even in that time and this one? What was he trying to teach his people that they may have revelation and understanding of? Look at Acts 10 and verse one. It says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius a centurion of the band called the Italian band. So this man was not a Hebrew or an Israelite. This man was Italian, okay? He was a part of the Roman army. He was a centurion. Look at verse two, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God, coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, thy prayers and thy alms are come, are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for out one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So you know that Peter's being sent up at this time to pray about the sixth hour. Now I want people to look at the wisdom and understanding of God. Now you know that they were given orders by Jesus Christ, or Peter was giving orders to preach to the, the, the Jews, okay? Now you go back in uh, chapter nine, Paul was just saved. Paul's assignment was to go to the Gentiles. So this is perfect timing, how all of a sudden Cornelius is seeking the Lord and wanting to be with the Lord. And the Lord sends Peter up on the uh, sixth hour to actually go and pray. 
This is how the Lord leads us unto prayer. So look at verse 10, and he came and he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while uh, they were already, he fell into a trance. So when it says a trance, it's not like he was being hypnotized. He was seeing a vision, okay, of what God wanted to show him, you know, after or during prayer. Look at verse 11. And so heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet nicked at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. So notice these were unclean animals that the Bible was telling them in the old covenant to not be a part of. Look at verse 13, and there came a voice to him, rise Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So Peter thinks that Jesus is talking about, you know, uh, foods or the dietary laws of the old covenant, but the Lord is going to explain to Peter why he gave him the vision. Look at verse 15. And the voice spake unto him again, the second time, what God hath cleansed, that called not thou common. So the Lord was making clear, hey, what I call clean, you don't call unclean. This is gonna be very significant and important as we tackle this first subject relating the Old Testament to the new. This was done thrice and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So the vision that Peter saw, God was giving him a rewind of seeing the same vision come down with the four-footed beast, the creeping things and the, uh, the fowls of the air. Why? Because unclean foods represented unclean people. In the old covenant, the Gentiles were considered unclean and they could not associate or be in the company of the Israelites unless they wanted to adopt the true God and understand the true way. Unclean foods represent unclean people. Cornelius had three people or two people come with him and Peter was shown the vision three times, okay? But we're not gonna stop here. We're gonna prove this point. So it says, look at verse 17. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, uh, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the spirit said unto him, behold, three men seek thee. So of course, it's no secret to anybody that God used the Jews to first preach the gospel unto the Gentiles. Why? because the Jews or the Israelites were God's people. They were walking in God's ways and God's righteousness. They had known of the one true God. So what he wanted to do was use his people to spread his word. He's always done it this way. I mean, well, before Adam and Eve and you know, before um, they went down into Egypt. But anyway, he says, um, look at verse 20, arise therefore and get thee down and go with them doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius uh, the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God 
and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into uh, his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in the uh, in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea and Cornelius waited for them and had um, called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming down, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter took him up saying, stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath shewed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So as we understand, God's plan was that they would learn of the gospel and unclean people to be made righteous. Peter said, in any other case, I'm not even supposed to be associating with you guys, but because I'm led to by the spirit to preach you guys the gospel and to tell you the truth, he says, I'm here. So anyway, um, let's see, uh, verse 29, and it says, uh, therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard and thine arms are, are head in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and to call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a, a tanner, uh, by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. This is going to be good for next week's teaching because a lot of people think that they're a lot better than a lot of other people simply by the color of their skin. But it made clear here, God is no respecter of persons. Look at verse 35. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hung on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and shewed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses uh, chosen before of God, 
even to us whom did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. So what is Peter giving Cornelius? He's giving them the gospel. He's trying to see if Peter really believes. Hey, brother uh, Kevin, you know, so the thing is, is he's making clear that, you know, God is commanding or, or showing us where we're wrong and he's preaching the gospel unto an unclean person. I promise guys, this is gonna make sense, but I just gotta get past this. All right, so it says to him, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Actually, I skipped verse 42 where it says, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that is he, which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. So those who believe and those who not believe, you know, they've got to be judged and they must know the truth. Look at verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also he poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which ye, which um, have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. So what God did at that moment was he, he was able to show everyone, even the Jews that were, that were present, that even the Gentiles could receive the Holy Ghost, okay? Now, I know y'all are wondering what this has to do with dietary laws. We're gonna make that point. So anyway, he says, uh, look at verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Now let's look at how all this ties together, guys. Let's go to Acts 15. Acts chapter 15. And I want you guys to look at this because Unclean foods represented unclean people. If you don't want to eat pork or anything unclean, hey, you've got a right to do that. That's the liberty and the spirit. But we're going to also find what were the, the laws commanded in the New Testament that God wanted us to follow. So look at Acts 15. Let's look at verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. So they were now learning what Peter said. Peter mentioned that, you know, hey, the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit too. So look at verse four. And then when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of a sect of the Pharisees, which believed saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. So as you can see, 
They were trying to incorporate the law of Moses. They were saying, okay, you can have Jesus, but you got to keep the law too. This is what a lot of people are being taught today and learning from these false prophets. So the apostles came together to consider the matter, to give understanding. Look at verse seven. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago, God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. So God made no difference. The unclean people and the clean people can both have the Holy Ghost if the unclean people choose to be made righteous. That's what the whole dietary law thing was all about. So anyway, he says, look at verse nine, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered saying, men and brethren hearken unto me. Simon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this, I will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down and will build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom uh, my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are, are all his works from the beginning of the world. So I actually wanna, yeah, all right, two more verses, guys, and we're done. This was the hardest part of the lesson because I needed to read through this to give people understanding what God was saying. So look at verse 19. He says, wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. So if the Gentiles turn to God, we're not supposed to trouble them. They are our brothers and sisters in the Lord. But look at verse 20. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols. So that's that's this is the commandment from the Old Testament unto the new. So they shouldn't be serving any other gods and they shouldn't be making anything else their idol. And it says from fornication. Now fornication is unclean uh, sexual activity. Even if you're an idolater, you can still be a fornicator because you're intimate with things that are not of God. That's spiritual fornication. And then it says, and from things strangled, because when things are strangled, they have the blood in them still, okay? That's something that we must understand that it was given a rule that we're not supposed to drink the blood of any animal in our food. So when people tell you, if you wanna uh, kill the steak, well, you'll kill the steak if you make it well done, get yours well done. Because God knows that the life of the soul is in the blood. You can have the soul of an animal in you if you won't hearken unto God. So God knows that the soul flows through the blood. So we better be careful with that. 
And it says, and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city of them that preach being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So you understand that what they came to bring was to let people know that you're not supposed to have blood in your food and abstain from things strangled and sacrificed to idols. That's it. Everything else is okay to eat. And I don't care who doesn't like this. If you don't want to eat pork, don't eat pork. If you don't want to eat shellfish, don't eat shellfish. But don't try and rule on me telling me that I can't eat it because God permitted us to be able to. I'm going to prove this. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is going to be the longest example before we skip to anything else. But you see, that's the new diet. And then we're going to hear this clip of Derek Prince, you know, short video of him. And then we're going to get right into these other examples. So this is 1 Timothy 4 and 1. Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Excuse me. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now look at verse three and verse four. Verse three says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth. Okay, so who are we gonna believe in this? We're gonna go back to the old custom, the old, uh, the old Mosaic law to get the truth, or are we gonna hear it here in the New Testament where Paul is telling Timothy that they're commanding to abstain from meats, but he says, God hath created all these things to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Verse four says, but every creature of God is good for every creature, every, every, every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. You see how the new dietary law follows the new covenant? You see how they go in line from one to the next? It's the same thing. God didn't deal with Gentiles in that day unless they repented and came clean. Unclean foods represent unclean people, but nothing is to be refused if we receive it with thanksgiving. If you pray and sanctify your food, I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage anybody to eat a fish dinner without prayer, okay? because you don't know what's in the water from what they're spraying and what they're giving you and what's in the food. So you see, it all goes back to Christ. It all goes back to having the spirit, to sanctifying all things, even unclean foods to be received. That's scriptural. Now, the reason why I brought this up and why we're gonna hear this clip of Derek Prince is because you're gonna find out who's promoting with you to eat the old food, I mean, or to have the old covenant and try and mix it in with the new. So you guys listen to this. Derek Prince. It's not a long video, but he makes his point. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. I will take a moment or two to tell you of an experience that I had in the International Convention of the Full Gospel Business Fellowship some years back. And this was witnessed by about 10 persons, two international directors of the Full Gospel Business Fellowship and other persons whose names I could give you and addresses and so on. 
Hopefully you guys can hear it. If you can't hear it, let me know. It was not done in a corner. For me at that time, it was a unique experience. We dealt with a woman of English background, who is now a friend of ours, I know her personally, who came, brought by a pastor for deliverance. I won't go into details of how it started, but we spent, my wife and I, five hours praying with this girl, and a lady who sat by, and I didn't ask her to do this, counted and wrote down the names of 72 spirits that identified themselves and came out of her. Now, I'm sure there are many people with lots more than 72 spirits. After all, in the Bible, there was a man with a legion, which is 6,000. About one-third of the way through this, every spirit spoke. I didn't ask them to, but they did. They started talking to me before I even knew what was happening. One of them said, I'm a seducing spirit. So I said, come out. And it said, I'm the seducer of the faith. So I said, still come out. And it said, I'm the chief one. And I said, still come out. And then it said, I have many roots. And I said, well, come out with all your roots in the name of Jesus. And then this girl or woman started to mention certain doctrines or put on certain acts. And after a few minutes, I realized that these were the roots of the seducing spirit that were coming out. And I grabbed a tablet with the Conrad Hilton name at the top, and I wrote them down. And I actually wrote down 30... I'm sorry, guys. One second, okay? I need to play that again, but I don't think that my speaker was hooked up. So let's get this going. Sorry about that. Okay, we should be good now. All right, so let's hear this because I want you guys to be able to hear this clearly because I believe that what they're doing is uh, the same thing today. All right, so let's see if this works. A moment or two yes. to tell you of an experience that I had in the International Convention of the Full Gospel Business Fellowship some years back. And this was witnessed by about 10 persons, two international directors of the Full Gospel Business Fellowship and other persons whose names I could give you and addresses and so on. It was not done in a corner. For me at that time, it was a unique experience. We dealt with a woman of English background, who is now a friend of ours, I know her personally, who came, brought by a pastor for deliverance. I won't go into details of how it started, but we spent, my wife and I, five hours praying with this girl, and a lady who sat by, and I didn't ask her to do this, counted and wrote down the names of 72 spirits that identified themselves and came out of her. Now, I'm sure there are many people with lots more than 72 spirits. After all, in the Bible, there was a man with a legion, which is 6,000. About one-third of the way through this, every spirit spoke. I didn't ask them to, but they did. In fact, they started talking to me before I even knew what was happening. One of them said, I'm a seducing spirit. So I said, come out. And it said, I'm the seducer of the faith. So I said, still come out. And it said, I'm the chief one. 
And I said, still come out. And then it said, I have many roots. And I said, well, come out with all your roots in the name of Jesus. And then this girl or woman started to mention certain doctrines or put on certain acts. And after a few minutes, I realized that these were the roots of the seducing spirit that were coming out. And I grabbed the tablet with the Conrad Hilton name at the top, and I wrote them down. And I actually wrote down 37 different deceiving spirits that came out of this one girl, all under the heading of the category of seducing spirits. Now, people have asked me what they were. I don't have the list with me, and I couldn't remember them all. Uh, and sometimes I feel I may offend people if I tell them, but I think this afternoon I'm going to tell you some of them. About the first one that came out was eternal security. About number two or number three was Jesus only. About number four, they didn't all give the name of a doctrine. Some just showed what they were. This one said, no pork, no bacon, no pork, no bacon, no pork, no bacon, no pork, no bacon. So I said, where do you come from? I'm not necessarily recommending this. I'm just telling you the way it happened. And they, this no pork, no bacon spirit, mentioned the name of a preacher who is known to me. And I happen to know that he teaches that you mustn't eat pig. <laughs> this is rather a sense. This was really quite an experience because a lot of quite well-known personalities in the religious world were mentioned by name. <laughs> well, I have to say to you that this really is in line with Scripture. Would you stop? I mean, would you look for a moment in First Epistle of Timothy, Chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It's the spirits that speak lies in hypocrisy. That's clear in the Greek. Verse 3, forbidding to marry. That's one of the doctrines of these seducing spirits, that it's wrong to marry. And, um, of course, we've encountered this recently in the Atlanta area. I suppose you're familiar with that, some of you. It's rather good that you're armed with this information. And commanding to abstain from meat, it means foods, which God has created be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. This is a very common and rather subtle form of satanic deception, if you want to be really spiritual, there are certain kinds of food you don't eat. Now, if you don't like pork and bacon, you are not obligated to eat them. But don't make a religious law out of it, because it's unscriptural. Why? Verse 4 says, every creature of God, and it's referring to food, is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And in line with that, let me just turn you to Acts, the 15th chapter. Acts chapter 15. You remember the question in Acts chapter 15 was, what was required of Gentiles who wanted to become Christians? Were they obliged to come under the law of Moses with all its ordinances and requirements? Many of the Jewish believers said, yes, they must come under the law of Moses. But you remember the final conclusion was, no, 
They did not have to come under the law of Moses. So in the end, this is the conclusion, and I want you to read it, as I, or follow as I read it. Acts 15, verse 25. You should read the whole chapter to see the background. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their alliance for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall tell you also the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from fornication. Those are the only four requirements transmitted from the law of Moses to Gentile belief. You are not required to be circumcised. You are not required to observe the Sabbath. You are free to eat anything except these three categories of things which you are not free to eat. You are not free to eat anything offered to an idol or anything which has the blood still in it, not has, has not had the blood drained out of it, or anything that's strangled. Why are you not allowed to eat anything strangled? Because the blood remains in it when it is strangled unless the throat is subsequently cut. So this is an answer to many things, including Seventh-day Adventism, which says that you're obligated to observe the Sabbath. The scripture says no, no greater burden than these four necessary things. Those are the only requirements transmitted to Gentile believers from the law of Moses. We are not under any other legal obligation than the law of Moses. Aren't you glad? If you're not, I am. Um, Okay, so I just wanted to play that point real quick, just so that people have an understanding that, you know, the old Mosaic law had its limitations and it didn't go into the new. So as you can see, the new dietary laws represented unclean people. But God, Paul told Timothy through inspiration of the spirit and anybody teaching otherwise, the Bible makes clear that it lies in hypocrisy. You know, they are seducing spirits. They're those that are meant to make you proud. So where does the doctrine come from to not be able to eat certain meats in the new covenant with the people of God? It's a demon. He said they were casting out demons, okay? And there was one demon that came out saying, no pork, no bacon, no pork, no bacon, you know, and everything else. If you choose a particular diet, then that's on you. Don't get me wrong. Someone with a fish diet will probably be healthier than someone with a pork diet. But the fact of the matter is, it is not a law, and it will not send you to hell if you were to eat pork. That's a part of the new covenant, because you know what God realized? It's not what you put in your mouth, like Jesus says. It's that which is on the inside that comes out. That's the part that, that needs to be worked on. The inside, what is your nature, and what God can get out of you and work out in you. That's what it's about. It's what's already in the man that defiles him, not what he puts in his mouth. So you see, that's why the demons don't ever want you to take the inward journey and get out the dirtiness. The devil wants you to outwardly perform, being filthy inside, but performing to be holy on the outside. That's what we must understand. Let's look at the second one to make the point. Let's go on with the second one. Let's go to Leviticus 2. And the others are not going to be that long, guys, but that one I just needed to make some points with because people go crazy over that one. Okay, so let's look at this. Leviticus 2. 
And let's look at verse 13. These are the salt laws, guys. They even had salt laws in that day. Let's look at this. Leviticus 2, 13. He says, in every oblation, every offering of thy meat offering, shall thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings, thou shalt offer salt. Now, why was salt being offered in this particular situation? Because salt is a preservative. As Christians, as the body of Christ, we should be preserving what God wants us to, but that's a meat offering. So how do you and I give offerings? We give them by offering up ourselves to the Lord so that he may use us and preserve us, okay? That we can preserve what he wants for us. Let's make the first example for this in the New Testament. Let's go to Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 5, guys, and look at verse 13. See, our Lord simplified it. He fulfilled the law and he did everything that, you know, that was supposed to be done. Look at Matthew 5 and 13, guys. It says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. So we understand here, if he says we're the salt of the earth, then we ought to preserve God's word. Do you think God wants you to put salt on everything today like you did in the old covenant? You see how one was to perform that was only a symbolic example to preserve the meat, just like us preserving the word of God, preserving the life of man and what Jesus Christ represents. That's all he's saying that we are the light and salt of the earth. We are the preservative of the earth, not putting preservatives on food. Man, that's, that's old compared to what God is working on now. So you see, one was about putting salt on something and the other in the New Testament is about becoming the salt. You see, so that we can be what God calls us to and be righteous. I wanna make one more example. Let's go to Luke 14. Okay, Luke chapter 14. That's why the New Testament, man, people downplay it and they pick up the old because they don't understand Christ. They don't understand what he's doing and what he's trying to do. Man, all it takes is to read your Bible. I'm not angry. I'm just trying to make the point. So let's look at... Uh, Okay, this is uh, Luke 14. Uh, let's see, look at verse 28, Luke 14 and 28. Now you remember earlier in this chapter, Jesus said in verse 27, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He was even saying, if you love mother and father, son and daughter or anything more than me, you are not worthy of me or, or to be his disciple. So now he's mentioning in verse 28, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether ye have sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. So as you can see, Jesus is talking about starting with him and finishing with him. How many of us have counted the cost? Yes, Lord, I wanna follow you. I want to forsake a life for a life. 
This is that preserving of what God wants. Are you seriously into it or are you just playing around? That's the whole point. So he says, look at verse 30, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he's sending an embassage like an ambassador and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So as you can see, the old salt laws go perfectly in line with the New Testament about being a preservative of God's word and remaining saved, regardless of what the cost is. We are to be the preservative or the salt to go and reach others to put savor on what God wants and what his life is, that other people may be redeemed and not go to hell. You guys see that? Meat goes bad when it's not salted. And just like the meat without the salt, those who don't have Christ, they are bad and they will go to hell. So what are we meant to do? Win as many lives as you can. And I'm gonna give you many examples of this, how the Old Testament is really just a forerunner for what God intended to do with the new, about being about it, not just performing it. Let's look at Leviticus um, 1, and let's look at verse 1. This is about the burnt offerings, guys. Leviticus 1, and look at verse 1. I know you guys are thinking, what's the point? But you know what? So many people are trapped in this thing that they can't see. So, you know, I believe by going over this and giving people some understanding, they'll understand that the old, the New Testament is not something to be frowned upon. It's about becoming everything that God had always intended for his people to be with far less works involved to try and, you know, outwardly perform, but to be the embodiment and the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the preservative to get man born again and to come into the kingdom of God. And we ought to be like Christ. That's what this is about. Leviticus 1, let's look at verse 1. It says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, he shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. He is offering, I mean, if his offering, sorry, be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish, which shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. So he's making the point here that if anybody's gonna bring a burnt sacrifice unto the Lord, that it has to be a male, that would be Christ without spot or blemish, that would be Jesus Christ because he had no sin. And then it says, and of his own free will. Okay, so we must understand that of the own free will that we have to, as, as Romans, well, we're gonna go there, but you have to voluntarily go 
in desire to serve Christ and become a burnt offering. We're gonna talk about what this burnt offering means. Look at verse four. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priest, Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar, that it is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it to pieces. So as you can see, the burnt offering will have to be burned, but before it gets burned and accepted of the Lord, it has to be cut to pieces. This is so important, guys, why when the Bible tells us to kill the old man, to get rid of the old man, to mortify our members, destroy the old man so that the new man can come alive. What is that fire to you and I? It purges you and I from all unrighteousness that we can be made whole and become clean in Christ. This is all gonna make sense. Look at verse seven. And the sons of Aaron, the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest Aaron's sons shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order upon the wood that it is on fire, which is upon the altar. But look at verse nine, guys. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water and the priest shall burn all on the altar and be a burnt sacrifice an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. So as you understand here with this thing, he says everything else is gonna be burned, but the inward parts, I want to be washed in water. Why is that important? Because we must understand to wash in water is the Bible speaking to us of being washed by the water of the word. This is sanctification. This is how you clean the inward man so that he can outwardly be what God says. These are the sacrifices that are made in giving our bodies over to the Lord so that we can be clean from the inside and do what God says on the outside. So notice this thing had to be washed. That's why the Bible speaks of the washing of the water by the word. Look at verse 10. And if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or the goats for a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it a male without blemish. Look at verse 11. And he shall kill on, kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord and the priest, Aaron's sons, shall sprinkle his blood round about upon the altar. So, you know, this is even symbolic for Jesus because if you study where Golgotha was, Golgotha was north of Mount Zion, okay? So this is important to understand because it was on the side of Jerusalem, but it was northward of Mount Zion. So Jesus, well, his sacrifice of himself was also northward. Now, some people could say Jesus was never burned by fire. Yeah, not by physical fire, but when you think of all the turmoil and all the things that he had to endure for you and I, he was definitely in, on trial by fire. Look at verse um, 12. Uh, he shall cut it into his pieces uh, with his head and his back, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. So Jesus was cut into pieces. He was beaten, he was crushed, he was mangled, he was bruised. He was pierced in his head, he was pierced in his hands and in his feet. Who was he destroying? The old nature. Who was who? Adam. 
Adam was being destroyed. Adam is that fact that is on the that is on the uh, sacrifice that needs to be burnt off so that the old man can die and the new man can come alive. That old fat is your old life, the old sin, the uselessness of you, the parts that God can't work with, he's got to kill and get rid of. And look at verse 13, and he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water, and the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar and the burnt offering and an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. So as you can see, that which is not righteous has to be burnt up and that which is on the inward part has to be cleaned out with water. This is important because this is exactly how the gospel works and let me show it to you. Now, I don't have time to go into Daniel three tonight, but as you remember the three Hebrew boys that would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image, what ended up happening with them? They ended up tried by fire. They were thrown in the fire because they refused to bow down to anyone but God and they had forsaken everything. And what happened while they were in that terrible heat, pumped up seven times more than it ought to be heated, what ended up happening with them? That they ended up meeting the Lord in the fire. If you guys want Jesus, Jesus is in the fire. If you want to be made into the image and likeness of Christ, you've got to endure your fiery trials, okay? To be like Jesus Christ, all right? You want Jesus? That old dross, that old life, that old you has got to be burned off so that all God sees is Christ in you. Let's go to uh, Romans 12. And let's look at verse one. All right, for the sake of time, you guys catch up. Look at Romans 12, look at verse one. He says, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So he made clear here that we have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. No one's gonna do this for us. It says in um, Revelation 19 that the bride who is Christ hath made herself ready. It made clear that the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins, the wise kept oil in their lamps. They kept their relationship with the Lord strong. They did not allow impurities to come into them that makes them the perfect sacrifice. So your reasonable service is to be the caretaker of this body. And what's the first thing you should do? Offer your body unto the Lord that he may use it and get the glory from it. Look at verse two, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So if you want God's perfect will, you've got to be in line with giving yourself over to him and allowing the spirit of God to clean us out. That's what this whole thing is about, guys. This whole thing is about being offered over to the Lord to be used of him and to have him take every unrighteous thing from us. Look at Revelation 3. Revelation 3, guys. 
And look at verse 14. He's speaking to the church of Laodicea. He says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot, so that because thou art, or thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So as you can see, when you've got dross on you, when you've got the world on you, when your flesh is strong on you and you're full of sin, you've got no choice but to be lukewarm. One minute you're hot for Christ, next minute you're in the world. One minute you're doing the things that God wants, next minute you're in the world. What's the problem? You haven't given all over to Christ. You've got to have those things burned off by the spirit of God to remove that from you so that we can be right with him. That's what this whole thing is about. But he says, look at verse 17, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods that I have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now look at what he says in verse 18. I counsel thee, he counsels us to buy from him gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thy eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. So what does God want with us? He wants us to be cleaned out. He wants us to be burned up the old life that we can be purified. God is going to try his people through fiery trials that when he is done, all God's gonna see in that gold. They said that the only way you can tell when gold is pure is when you can see your reflection in it. And that's what God intends to do with us. That was the purpose of the burnt offering in the Old Testament. And this is what Jesus Christ wants to do in the New Testament. Let's give one more example before we move on that we understand that God's got to take the sin out of you. And you know, heat is a purifier. If you were to boil some water that you got from the tap, if you put it in the sink and you put it under fire, it's gonna burn out all the impurities that are in it, that it becomes pure water. That's exactly what the burnt offering was for and what Jesus Christ wants to do with us. So let's look at one more example before we go to the next. This is 1 Peter 4. Let's go to 1 Peter 4. And let's begin at verse 12. Look at what Peter says. He says, beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, that ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So he tells us, man, don't worry about those fiery trials. All Christians go through them. All Christians got to endure them. You've got to be a partaker of the sufferings of Christ to be worthy of the things that Jesus Christ has for us 
in the kingdom of heaven. So look at verse uh, 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. So don't be offended when somebody's telling you about sin. Be happy so that you can have it removed. He says, for the spirit of glory and of the Lord resteth upon you on their part. He is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's affairs or other men's matters. That's that dross. He's saying, hey, man, don't suffer like that. Look at verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be for them who obey not the gospel of God? So if judgment is gonna come to the Christian first, and the Christian even has to be judged, imagine what the judgment will be for the unbeliever. Look at verse 18. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? So we've got to be clear on one thing, that it's a narrow way and a straight gate, and few there be that find the way. He says, if the righteous are scarcely saved, that's scary. If the, right, the righteous are barely saved, if they're barely getting in by the skin of their teeth, then what shall it be for the ungodly? That's why Christians better stop playing around, get into God, forsake all things that are not of him, and get through those gates. Look at verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So that's important. We've got to have the droves burned off. That was the purpose of the old burnt covering or burnt offering and what God wants to do today through trials, fiery trials, things happening to us, the sufferings of Christ to make you tough, to purify you. Why does God take you through people that are not your friends or when you find Christ, many of them walk away? Because Jesus is that light, Jesus is that fire. And you know what, I've already accepted to be a Christian, it's not a popular thing. You're not gonna have a lot of friends, but you know what, so be it. I would rather walk with Christ and be alone and not be ashamed of him than to go to hell with a bunch of people because I wanna be down. Man, forget that, all right? I wasn't born with friends and I don't need them. I'm grateful to the ones that God gives us, but we got to pursue him. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. As the Bible tells you, you become ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. Let's go to Leviticus two. Let's look at the next one. Look at verse uh, two, Leviticus two and two, and we're gonna begin at verse 14. Leviticus 2 and verse 14, this is the offerings of the first fruits. We're going to get an understanding of what that means. And it says in verse 14, and if thou offer a meat offering of thy first fruits unto the Lord, thou shalt offer for the meat offering of thy first fruits, green ears of dried corn by the fire, even corn beaten out of full ears, and thou shalt put oil upon it. So not only is this offering, if it's a first fruits offering, let's look up what first fruits means. This is H1061. That word is bitcore, and it means first fruits. 
the first of the crops and fruit that ripened was gathered and offered to God according to the ritual of Pentecost. The bread made of a new grain offered at Pentecost and it's the day of first fruits, which was Pentecost. Why is the day of first fruits the day of Pentecost? Because that was the day that the church was born when the church became full of God's spirit and they became the choice, the best fruits of God. Why? Because they had Jesus Christ all in them. So let's look up the first fruits and what this whole offering is about. He says in verse 15, now notice in Pentecost in Acts the second chapter, they became the first fruits, but look at what it says in 15. And thou shalt put oil upon them and lay frankincense thereon. Uh, it is a meat offering. So we understand here that in Pentecost, they were given the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a type of, 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 um, of oil and frankincense is like a sweet smelling savor, okay? Frankincense is like a cleanliness or, or a good smell that God likes. So, you know, with the spirit on us, then we become a, um, a, a sweet smelling savor unto the Lord. Why? Because we are full of Christ. He says, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it, part of the beaten corn thereof, and put of the oil thereon with all the frankincense thereof. And it is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So what did the Lord give them? Holy Ghost fire. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and he came back out, he was full of the spirit. John the Baptist says, I baptize with water, but Jesus Christ would baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So to be the first fruits, we've got to allow the Lord to use us in that sense. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 15 and 19 to make sense of this. But you see, you're gonna find these all through the New Testament and the Old. A lot of people go back to the Old Testament because they don't understand the new. So 1 Corinthians 15, let's look at verse 19. And it says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So if Jesus is only your savior here in the world and you don't desire him in eternal life and pursuing things that he wants, then man, you are of all men most miserable. Look at verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept because Jesus was the first to go through the process and the first with the glorified body, the first as a godly example to show you and I just how we ought to be. Look at verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So Jesus came in to turn his whole thing around. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. So as you can see, the order of it is Jesus Christ is the first fruits. He is our example. You don't have to work and do all these other things to be with God. All you need to do is get full of Christ become the first fruits, and then you can do what Jesus did to reach other souls that are lost. So you guys see how it goes? Look at James 1. James 1, let's look at verse 17. I'm sorry to be skipping. I know, you know, I usually talk more, but 
there's a lot of information here. So I just want to make sure that we get an understanding. And I encourage everybody, if you don't believe what I'm saying, take it to the Lord in prayer. But the old, the New Testament is full of God's wisdom and everything that we need of the Lord. So look at James 1, look at verse 17. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with one, I mean, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will beget he us with the word of truth that he should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So what does the Lord want us to be? First fruits. He wants us to be full of him. Look at verse 19. He says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart, look at what he's taking away so that we can be the first fruits. He says, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity and naughtiness and receive with meekness, like humbleness, the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So a lot of people think we're Christians. A lot of us think that we are the first fruits of God. But he says, if you're a hearer of the word and you're not a doer of the word, then you just you deceive your own selves. Look at verse 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. And he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh unto the perfect law of liberty to be led of the spirit and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So if you want to be first fruits, you got to be not just a hearer of the word, but a doer. But he says, for those who do, or those who hear and not do, they're like people that will walk before God and God will show them everything about them, everything that they need to be. They'll forget about God, go right back into the world and start acting like the world. He said, those men will not be blessed. You see, so we've got to be what we say we are. Because if we don't be what we what we say we are, then we're hypocrites. It's better to walk with God and be ridiculed than to be a hypocrite acting like you're a Christian, giving Jesus Christ a bad name. You can't be first fruits if that's what you do. Verse 26 says, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. But pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows and in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So if you want to be first fruits of what God tells you to be, you can't be spotted by the world and you've got to love your neighbor. Only the spirit of God can give us this. Only Jesus gives us the perfect example that we can walk in this way. So as you can see, the first fruits offering, right in line with the gospel. You don't need to keep that anymore because Jesus Christ shows us how to be the first fruits, how to be that offering. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go to Leviticus 3. 
You know, I mean, you just want people to get away from that old covenant. Not that it didn't have truth in it. Everything that the Bible says is true, but we must understand what God is doing and why he does what he does. That's the important part. Leviticus 3, guys, is the peace offering. Let's begin at verse 1, okay? All right, so it says in, um, in verse 1, and if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offer, if he offer it of a herd, whether it be a male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of this offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. And he shall offer of the sacrifice of the peace offering, an offering made by fire unto the Lord, the fat that covereth the inwards, and all the fat that is upon the inwards, and the and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, uh, which is by the flanks of the call, I mean, and the call, uh, above the liver and, and with the kidneys, it shall uh, he take away. It says, and Aaron's sons, uh, shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is upon the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. So notice, hey, hey brother uh, Jake and uh, sister, beautiful beloved, you know, this is the point here that he's mentioning that when they offer the peace offerings unto the Lord, that the fat that is around the organs needs to be taken away and burned, okay? Now, this is exactly how the Bible says the word of God cuts around the heart, that it removes the dross, that it removes the flesh, that it removes the unrighteousness, that we can fall in line with God. So as you can see, a peace offering is the same way. If you're going to come before the Lord, come before the Lord correct, that he can cut around the heart, take away the sin, remove all unrighteousness, that we can be the perfect peace offering unto the Lord. We can't continue to remain in sin and do sinful things and think that we're gonna have peace with the Lord. The Bible tells us friendship with the world makes us the enemy of God. So that's not a peace covenant. If you're gonna go against the ways that are of, that are of the Lord, that's not peace. Jesus says, either you are with me or you're against me. He that gathereth not with me, he scattereth. So we must understand that, you know, those things have to be removed if we're going to be the perfect peace offering unto the Lord. Now, we're going to bring this into the New Testament that we can make sense of this, that people will get an understanding of this. This is so important, guys. Look at, uh, let's see, let's go to Ephesians 5, guys. Ephesians 5, and let's look at verse 1, and you're going to see how the peace offering falls perfectly in line with the gospel. Read the rest of Leviticus 3 in your spare time, but I just want to make this point. You don't have to keep the old covenant if you understand the new. What the problem is, is a lot of people are ignorant of the new covenant and the things that Jesus Christ has done, and they let that demonic religious spirit lead them back to the old covenant to do old works that don't amount to a hill of beans today because we're under a new covenant. 
I'm sorry to get upset, man, but that bothers me. When you think of what Jesus Christ did and he says, guys, it is finished. What he did cannot be built upon with any other thing. And yet people will try and say in their hearts, oh, it's not finished. You got to keep the old law and everything with that. And then you have the spirit. Try it and see what happens to you on judgment day. You've got to give it all over to Jesus that Jesus Christ can make you that perfect peace offering. Look at Ephesians 5 and look at verse 1. He says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us in offering hmm, and a sacrifice to God. For what? A sweet smelling savor. This is what Jesus did. But he says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So remember, you in the in the peace offering had to cut all the fat around the organs and the kidneys, and those things had to be burned. What we're reading in verse four, the the uh, uh, verse five, I mean verse three, the fornication, the uncleanness, the covetousness, which is greed. That's the fat that is around the organs that needs to be cut off for the perfect peace offering. Look at verse four: neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving up thanks. Why is God against filthiness and foolish talking? Well, God is holy. So we've got to be holy to be right with him. But foolish talking itself, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you think foolishly in your heart, what's in your heart is gonna come out. It always made me laugh when people will say, I'm not prejudiced or nothing, but you know I noticed this about black people or white people or this and that. Hey, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You care about worldly things. You care about things that are not of God. You speak of sin more than you speak of Christ. That's what's in your heart. Don't try and pretend. Allow the Holy Spirit, when you yield your body, to cut out, cut out that fat and that sin around your heart that your heart can be true with Jesus Christ. He says in verse five, for this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So as you can see, you've got to be made right in the perfect peace offering before the Lord to have these things removed, okay, that we can walk with Christ. Look at verse six. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For, um, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So remember the Bible says in God, there is no darkness. In Christ, there is no darkness. We've got to learn to walk that way with the Lord. So he says, for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. 
But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. He says, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See that you walk circumspectly, walk looking around, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So if we're gonna stay in line with Christ and be the perfect peace offering, all we've got to do is let the Holy Ghost take the sin out of our lives and guide us with God's spirit that we can be the peace offering of Christ. You see the way this works? You see, you can not have to do all the rituals in the Old Testament if you understand the gospel of the new. That's the problem. People are ignorant, ignorant to the word of God because they choose not to let the Lord show them what they need to do. You can't build on what Jesus does. And anybody teaching you otherwise is a liar. Look at Leviticus 4. We're gonna get into sin offerings. Leviticus 4, guys, let's look at verse 1. He says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and shall do against any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he hath sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. Now we know that this is what Jesus Christ did to us. Jesus was, I mean, 30 years old, so he wasn't relatively, well, 33 years old. He wasn't that old, but he came without blemish for a sin offering for the people. Look at verse four. And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. Look at verse five again, guys, and let's relate this to the gospel. And the priest that is anointed, that is called and appointed of Christ, shall take of the bullock's blood, shall take the blood of Christ and bring it to where? The tabernacle or the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary. That's why you've got to be called of the Lord. You've got to get sanctified. You've got to allow the spirit of God to use us that we can preach the blood of Christ. We can preach forgiveness. We can preach remission of sins because God is cleaning us out and using us to reach other people. So look at verse, uh, I believe I'm at verse seven. He says, and the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar and the burnt offering, uh, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and he shall take off from it all the fat of the bullock for a sin offering, the fat that covereth the inwards 
and all the fat that is upon the inwards, and the two kidneys and the fat that is upon them, which is by the flanks and the coal about the liver with the kidneys, it shall he take away. So as you can see, God wants to remove all these things. As it, as it was taken off uh, from the bullock of the sacrifice of peace offerings, and the priest shall burn them upon the altar of the burnt offering. And the skin of that bullock and all his flesh with his head and with his legs and his inwards and his dung. Uh, even the whole bullock uh, shall he carry forth without the camp uh, unto a clean place where the ashes are poured about and burn him on the wood with fire where the ashes are poured out shall he be burned. So as you can understand here, he's talking about the inward parts, all these things being clean, all these things being removed. That's what made Jesus Christ the perfect sacrifice. Now, if you look, because we don't have a lot of time to go into it, but Hebrews 9, 1 through 29 talks about the temple of God, how Jesus Christ was that priest, how at one point we had the day of atonement, but Jesus did it for all times so that we would not have to do these things again. We wouldn't have to sprinkle blood. We're covered by the blood of Christ. But I am gonna give you one New Testament uh, scripture to go with you. Let's go to 1 John chapter one, and then we're gonna move to the next. I know this seems like a moot point after a while, but you know what? I want people to see the truth. I want people to go after the things that only Jesus Christ can give you because a lot of people are wasting their time in that old law. And, you know, as Derek Prince said, when they were casting out that demon, that demon was saying no pork, no bacon, no pork, no bacon, because they're trying to get people into outwardly performing instead of inwardly becoming clean. Look at verse seven. He says, but if we walk in the light as he in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, the son, cleanseth us from all sin. So if the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, why are we doing old Mosaic law rituals? Look at verse eight. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you don't need to make sin offerings today. The only sin offering that you can give today is if you sin, you repent in the name of Jesus Christ and you return, you turn away from it and you walk in the righteousness of God. God can cleanse us from all sin. So what is the purpose of the old Mosaic law? It's the devil trying to bring you back to it so that you can forget about what God wants. Now, Exodus 25, guys, and I'm not saying the old law was the devil. I'm saying the devil will use an old covenant to get you to forsake and blaspheme Christ because that's what you do when you refuse to accept his offering and you come up with one of your own. So Exodus 25, guys, was about the building of the wilderness. God gave Moses instruction and how he wanted it. He wanted it to have an outer court, an inner court, and a most holy place. Now, you know, today we are the temple of the living God. We are body, soul, and spirit. 
just how, uh, you know, the priest had to make sacrifices in the temple at that time. We make sacrifices through fasting and prayer, through sanctification, through carrying our cross and having Jesus Christ as our example. If you read Hebrews uh, 8, 1 through 5, it made clear that the earthly tabernacle must model the heavenly tabernacle. Why is that important? Because Jesus Christ and God the Father were the heavenly tabernacle and us being on the earth as the body of Christ, we've got to be fashioned after the heavenly tabernacle. If we're the earthly tabernacle, then all we need to do is look at the heavenly tabernacle, who is Jesus Christ, and we can be made right in him. So I don't want to waste the time to go into that. I'm just trying to make an example of how the Old Testament was only one little thing to bring you and I unto the new, to refine us, to make us full of Christ. If you get into Jesus Christ, guys, your mission is finished. You get into Christ, he gets into you, it's done. But people want to run back up under, I'm keeping this and you're not. That's pride, man. And if you don't get it right with the Lord and you forsake the New Testament and you stay with the old, man, you're tempting God. You better get it right. Numbers 15, guys, and let's look at verse 32. I've got two more examples and then I'm going to close with a New Testament scripture. Numbers 15, let's look at verse 32. Because I got a teaching coming up where I'm going to bring up many points concerning this. Because I'm going to tell you something, and I don't care who gets offended by this, but if you guys really want to know what a nasty man, filthy doctrine today is, if you guys really want to know what a false, I mean, deceptive, just full of hate, doctrine today that you'll hear, it's that black Hebrew Israelite movement. Whether or not they're Christians, you know something? I mean, whether or not uh, that the real Jews were black or not, you know, there may be some possibility. I studied their religion. I know what they believe. If it's true, so what? It can't save your soul. What they do is push people up back up under the old covenant. And the Bible says that no man will know Jesus Christ after the flesh. If Paul says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, why are you even hanging on to the black in your skin? You know, and then you wonder why the white supremacist believes what he believes. These people are all off track because Jesus Christ is our example. But a lot of people have never even met Christ. They're using their race to try and push that on other people as if they're saints of God. When all you hear spewing out of their mouth is hatred. And then if you're like a white person, that has given into the guilt that these people can trip on you. And then you find some white people looking up the history and trying to defend it. And, and, you know, people of other races and saying, yeah, you know what, they, I think they are the Hebrews and, you know, this and that. Man, you ain't doing God a favor by that. The Bible says that God will pull them up out of the four corners of the earth and he will lead them into the land where they will study war no more. The Bible never made clear that one man or men should find their own way and then uh, gather as many Israelites as they can to go into the land. That's a false doctrine, guys, okay? Jesus knows who all the Israelites are, 
whoever they may be. I don't care, okay? All you better worry about is Jesus Christ able to save your black soul or whatever soul you got. You better get in line with him and do what he says, but don't fall for the hype. I don't care how much history they bring up. That ain't the gospel, guys. The gospel is a born again believer. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, look and see, all things become new. So that includes your flesh. It doesn't matter, okay? You've got to be spirit to spirit. God is a spirit. And for them that worship him, must worship him in spirit and in truth. These guys made me so mad. I ain't even get to the place I have to go to. But, you know, we, we just got to understand. There's a lot of things out there trying to hurt us, guys. And I promise you, your skin will not matter before the Lord. The Bible says, as we read tonight, he's no respecter of persons. So who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to belittle others and do what you're doing? You're not even of Christ. You believe the lie of the devil. The devil told Adam and Eve some truth because he wanted Adam and Eve to buy the lie. You know, 99% of rat poison is good food. It's the part that's on the inside, okay? That, that little 1% is what kills you. And this is how the devil will bait you in with some truth but boil all of that up in a bunch of lies. Look at Numbers 15, look at verse 32. It says, and while children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him inward because he was not declared what should be done of him. And the Lord said unto Moses, the man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. So as you can see, this was a serious offense for the Old Testament. Now you gotta understand what this man was doing. He was gathering sticks and the Sabbath day was supposed to be a day of rest. If you guys bring that into the spirit and what that means today, it means for you to do anything without the guidance of the Lord, okay? Now the Lord, uh, if you read Romans 8 and 14, the Bible says, as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So for you and I today to pick up sticks, that would be like God calling us not to do something and we go and do it. If God says, I need you in the house today, I need you to get full with me, give me a prayer day, give me some time in the word, and you go out and preach the gospel, that's picking up sticks. And I'll tell you why. Because God wants to fill and use this vessel um, in accordance with his will. Okay, so when you don't obey the gospel or you don't obey the spirit of God, then that's picking up sticks. Why? Because we decide through our own pride to do these things through our own effort. We've got to be led by the spirit of God in all that we do. So let's bust up the Sabbath day and let us let this make sense unto the Lord. Look at Mark two guys, and let's look at verse 21. What did my sister say? She said, yes, my husband has spoken with them 
They call him confusion of face, meaning he can possibly be a Hebrew Israelite. They have many sects. Some accept white folks, some don't. Yeah, but either way, sister, you're absolutely right. They do have many sects, but they all believe that they are superior to other races. And you see, that's what's messed up. What she said, uh, brother uh, Kevin said, amen. Uh, some of the sects make people kiss their boots, literally. You know, you see, and, and if you're foolish enough to do that, you know, then that, hey, that's on them. Hopefully your husband ain't kissing nobody's boots because we only got one Lord and Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. So I'm glad that you're studying on this and you know what this is. And she said, no way. Even if he wanted to, you're not going to let him. I hear you, sister. So, you know, let's look at uh, Mark chapter 2. I believe that's where I said to go. Yeah, Mark 2, guys. And let's look at verse 21. Look at Mark 2 and 21. Jesus says, no man that soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filleth it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. So this can be mentioned as in an old man, like an old covenant, and this could be mentioned with the new covenant. The two don't run together, guys. You've got to choose who you're going to follow. Okay, and he says, and no man putteth new wine into an unto old bottles, else the new wine doth burst, and the bottles and the wine be spilled, and the bottles will be marred, and the new wine uh, must be put into new bottles. So Jesus was making clear that in order for us to house the Spirit of God, we've got to be righteous. We've got to allow God to use us so that He can fill us. Look at verse twenty-three. So that's why you can't keep the old covenant and be a part of the new. People are ignorant of this because if you keep the old covenant, you're an old bottle. How can you house the new one? We're going to use the Sabbath day to make a perfect example of this. If it's the Sabbath day, you're supposed to be out of action or in the house resting from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. So let's just say God calls you on a Friday or God, the spirit of God speaks to you and tells you, I want you out on the street preaching the gospel. There's two people that are gonna pass you that I want to be saved. Now you see, that's the new one. But the old bottle will say, no, I know that the Sabbath day is a holy day. I'm going to keep the Sabbath day and I will not violate the Sabbath day law. So what did you just do? You disobeyed the spirit. The spirit wants to go one way. The old law wants to keep you in another way. So you see how you need a new bottle to house the new wine so that you can ebb and flow with the spirit of God. That's what God wants, man. Look at verse 23. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. Uh-oh. And the Pharisees said unto him, behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, have ye never read what David did when he had need and was in hunger? He that, I mean, he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the shoe bread, which was not lawful to eat, but for the priest and gave also to them which were with him. 
And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the son of man, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, is Lord also of the Sabbath day. Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. Why is he our Sabbath? Because the Bible made clear in Hebrews chapter four, that if any man gets into the spirit of God, he rests from his own works. He doesn't have to cook up plans and what he wants to do that day. He doesn't have to try and perform for others. He's being led by the spirit, who to talk to and what to do. So Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we obey Jesus Christ in the spirit of God, that is all we need. We rest from our works when we get into the spirit of God. That's what the seventh day represented. Six days, remember, was the end of creation. Six is the number for man. The seventh, representing the spirit, is when God rested from his works. Why did he tell them to keep the Sabbath? Because he was trying to tell a bunch of heathen people that had just come from Egypt that they need to get, you know, they need to uh, remember who their Lord is. So set aside a day. But the finishing touch of all of that is Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. When Christ be in us, we don't have to work hard to make something happen. We're led by the spirit of God that these things will come to pass. Thank you, Jesus. Look, I'm gonna give one more example. Let's look at John five. I wanna give you guys an example of this. John chapter five. I'm glad, sister, your uh, husband is a pastor. You know, he's a preacher. Good. Because, you know, we need more men involved that are willing to serve the Lord and do what the Lord says. Praise the Lord for him. All right. So look, let's begin in verse seven, John five and verse seven. He says, the impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Notice Jesus says seven words to him here, which is like a number for the spirit. But let's understand something too with this. This man had trouble getting into this pool of Siloam or, you know, Shilom, where, um, you know, whoever went in there first, there would be an angel from the Lord that would come down and would heal anyone particular person that went in first out of their sickness. You see, this is a type of effort of the flesh to want to run in and you got to make sure you beat everybody in there. This man had found Christ and Jesus asked him, you know, wanted to heal the man of his 38 years of infirmity. In verse six, Jesus says, wilt thou be made whole? That's five words. What is five symbolic for? Grace. Then he says in verse eight, Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. That's the finished word, which is seven, which is what? The spirit. Five plus seven is what? 12, which is what? God's perfect government. The New Testament is the government of God, which is five for grace, seven for the spirit, allowing the spirit of God through grace to make you and I whole and full of Christ. Look at verse nine. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. So here comes Jesus again, doing some works on the Sabbath. Look at verse 10. The Jews therefore said unto him, 
that was cured, uh, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, he that hath made me whole, the same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. I want you guys to understand this and get the revelation that is in this because the Jews told him through the old covenant, you're not even supposed to be carrying a bed on the Sabbath day. This man took it right to Jesus, who was acting as priest and king, who was the author and finisher of our faith. And he says, well, I hear what you're saying, but he who is Jesus have made me whole, told me to take up my bed and walk. And that's who I'm gonna be listening to. The old covenant didn't make me whole. I'm for 38 years walking around with infirmity. I need Christ to make me whole. Look at this, man. Look at verse, uh, uh, let's see, no, verse 12. Then asked they him, what man is that which said unto thee, take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had con uh, conveyed uh, himself away. And uh, a multitude being in that place, afterwards Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. So it's not just good enough that we heal, we walk in the righteousness of Christ, not going back to sin. And look what the Lord says, you go back to sin, a worse thing will come upon you. How does that happen? Jesus says, when an unclean spirit in Luke 11 goes out of a man, that man walks through dry places seeking rest. I mean, or that demon walks through dry places seeking rest and finding none. The devil looks and says, man, I'm gonna return back to the house which I came out, which is you and I. Let's just say your problem is drugs or smoking or you're an alcoholic or you're a homosexual or whatever. Okay, let's just say that's what you were involved in. Jesus Christ sets you free, you learn of the truth. He gives you his spirit, he empowers you to walk away from those sins. Now, the devil is gonna double back and see if you're really a Christian. Are you really pursuing Christ? Are you really that strong in the Lord? So what does the devil do with your house? He goes back and peeks through the window. And Jesus says, if the devil finds that that house has been swept and garnished, no Holy Ghost, not following the Lord, walking in your own way, that that one demon will take seven other spirits more wicked than himself and the later state of that person will be worse than the first because the devil's gonna fortify that home. That's why when you go back to sin, it's like, man, you got to fight to get out of that because now that devil has brought reinforcements. You're not kicking me out. So Jesus said, hey, don't sin anymore lest the worst thing come upon you. Then you're gonna need even more deliverance. So anyway, he says in verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. You see the religious spirit? It's an ugly, hate-filled spirit because they didn't understand Christ. Verse 17 says, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto and I work. So Jesus says, I don't care what day it is. When my father tells me to work, I will work. Look at verse 18. 
Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. For those people that don't believe Jesus is Christ, this isn't Jesus's words, nor is this the words of the Pharisees. It made clear in verse 18, and this is what John wrote, who was the closest to Jesus. He says, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill Jesus, um, to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath. So Jesus broke the Sabbath day. So by old law, he was supposed to die. But you must understand the Sabbath was only meant to fulfill the law that Jesus Christ gave. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments, Jesus says, hang all the law and the prophets. Okay, look at verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, the son of man can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. Jesus was in his rest, being guided by the spirit, being Lord of the Sabbath, he yielded to the spirit of God to do what the father said. If you have the spirit of God, you do not need to keep the Sabbath. You don't need to keep the Sabbath anyway. The Sabbath was one day that you got to worship God, but as the temple of the living God, full of the spirit, we get to worship Jesus all day, every day. You see how the law confounds, the law oppresses, the law restricts, but Jesus Christ gives us the law of liberty that we can come in no matter what day, what time, what hour, and we can come before the Lord and praise him and thank him and worship him and come to him when we've got trouble. The new covenant is superior to the old covenant. Now, if you wanna take a Saturday to give a personal time with you in the Lord, you're free in the spirit to do that. But when you make it a law that we must follow and you're doing it because of the old Mosaic law, you're tempting God. You better take the new sacrifice and leave all that garbage behind, okay? So last scripture of the night, guys, I'm gonna go to is Galatians chapter three. Let's go there and begin at verse one, and we will close from there. So as you can see, the law and the gospel. You can get rid of the old Mosaic law. I'm not saying what they said about homosexuality ain't true. What they say about homosexuality in the Old Testament they say in the New Testament. What they say about bestiality in the Old Testament, they say in the New Testament. So as you can see, yeah, there's some things that go along with it, but this is all about being full of Christ and obeying him. Look at Galatians 3 and verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So let's see what the Galatians problem was. People were telling them, and this is what Acts 15 is all about. They needed to be a partaker of the Mosaic law, even though they have the spirit of God. That's what they were told. So the Galatians began to believe these sects of the Pharisees or those that told them they needed to do this. And Paul calls them bewitched. 
Guys, you've been tricked. You've been fooled. You know, how do you get the spirit by faith in Jesus Christ? And now you got somebody pushing you up under the works of the Lord to keep it. How does that even go together? But you see, this is what people are doing today and they're pushing on people and those things need to be taken away. Look at verse three. Are ye so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth unto you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, does, does he do it by the works of the Lord or by the hearing of faith? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The reason why we believe in Jesus Christ and we pursue him heavily is not because of the old Mosaic law. We believe in his words. We believed in the life he did, he lived. We believe in how he told us we could obtain the spirit to obey God. So he says, even as Abraham believed and, and it was counted unto him uh, for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. Now, why is the Lord mentioning Abraham? Because Abraham was before the old Mosaic law. Abraham goes back to the beginning, you know, not to the very beginning, but he was before the law. Abraham was known as a friend of God. And why was that? For one simple reason, he believed God. He was ready to sacrifice his own son because he had faith in God. And God told him, man, do your son no harm. I just wanted to know, Abraham, was there anything that you would put between you and I? That's what God wants to know with us today. Is there anything that we would put between us and our relationship with Abraham? So as you can see, we jump back over the law as if it never existed. So anyway, he says, look at verse um, seven. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith are the same are the children of Abraham? And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, and these shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Hey, I'd rather have faith than obey the old Mosaic law. Look at verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law or under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all that in all these, I mean in all things uh, which are written in the book of the law to do them. People misunderstand this verse all the time. What he's saying here is if you are under the law, you're under a curse because Jesus took that curse to his death. So if you want to be a partaker of it and serve the Lord, then as Galatians 5 says, you are fallen from grace. You must understand that. If you decide to be made right by your own righteousness under that old covenant that was to be done away, that is done away, then what you're trying to do is be righteous by your own standards. And if the and Paul says in Galatians 4 or 5, if you keep the law, that you will be judged by the law. So no thank you for me. I want to be in line with what the Lord says. Look at verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident uh, for the just shall live by faith. So the law can't justify you. 
So my question to the people out there is, then why are you doing it? Then they'll tell you, we don't listen to Paul. We don't like his writing. They'll tell you Paul was a deceived Jew. When Peter, and, and uh, I believe it's um, second uh, Peter chapter three, that Peter called Paul a beloved brother. So you're gonna call Peter a liar? You see how when you don't obey the truth in God, you've got to tear up all of the Bible just to make your point. When people try and tell you the Bible's been tampered with, it's been messed with, all these things have been done. Hey, all I know is I obey it. And for those I know that obey the Lord, they get the benefits of what God says. And if you wanna follow up with all that other garbage, there are some modern versions that have been tampered with, but guess what? That's why we have the spirit of God so that he can tell us what is right and that which is wrong. So anyway, he says, look at verse 12. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them, the man that keeps the law, you shall live in them. Christ have redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. So a lot of people may wonder, how come the spirit ain't falling on me? Because you're up under the old Mosaic law because you haven't allowed the spirit of God to cut off the droves, because you have not offered your body unto Christ as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, that we may not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You've got to give yourself over to Christ. Look at verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. So as you can understand, the new covenant is of Christ. You can't add to it. You can't subtract from it. You can't bring anything that you wanna bring with it. It is complete unto itself. Either you believe Jesus Christ or you don't. And don't try to act like God told you to do it. Because one thing is this, God's word, his rhema word does not go against his spoken word. Okay, so you can forget that. Look at verse 16. Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and the seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So God had always intended to fill his people with the spirit. What God gave Abraham as a covenant by faith that Israel would be his people, he never recanted that. They're still his people and anyone else that aren't or that those who believe the promise of Abraham, that can't be disannulled by 432 years of law. You see what I'm saying? That, that law cannot, even though it came way later, 400 years, it, still, it has no bearing on what God originally planned. God had to give the Mosaic law and that covenant because of the fact that people became really defiled and they forgot 
who their God was. But see, from that point, then it went from the Mosaic covenant to the Davidic until the one of Christ. You see, God was always changing up, but God's original plan for Adam and Eve was to be fruitful, uh, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. God wanted them to be righteous, that's it. Be righteous, be in my image and my likeness. Why didn't God bring the old Mosaic law to them? Do you know what Adam and Eve lost? Jesus Christ came to bring back that we would be full of the spirit of God like we were from the first day? That's the part that law keepers can't see. Jesus, it was almost like a timeline. Like it, when man sinned, he began to go down. And then all of a sudden, like integers on a page, negative, negative 10, negative nine, negative eight. Then you reach a zero point, which is Christ. And he reset the thing and got it going right back up. Plus one, plus two, plus three. That's what's supposed to happen with us. But if you're stuck in the law of Moses, man, you don't even understand the born again experience. Lord, forgive me. I'm not angry, man. I just want people to wake up. <laughs> Look at verse 18. But if the inheritance be of the Lord, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Look at verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the Lord? It was added because of what? Transgressions. What are transgressions? Willful sin, sin against God, lawlessness. Okay? It says, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by the angels in the hand of a mediator. So that's why the Lord was the law was added because of sin. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1:9, the law was not made for a righteous man, but only for the ungodly, the unrighteous, the whoremongers, all the people that would disobey God. The police don't come well, today's police do, but the idea of the police was only for going after lawbreakers, okay? If you're not, if you're going down the road not speeding and the police show up, you know they're not looking for you. But if you're breaking the law, then you remember the law. If God's plan is to make you righteous, not to follow laws, it's to be full of God's spirit so that we can be as Christ. Does that mean that it's a license to sin? No. But through God, you know, He takes the sin out of our life with grace, with the time enough to make it happen that we can be in line with the Lord. He says in verse 20, now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been given by the law. So Paul is saying, is the law against God's purpose? No, we're gonna find out exactly what the law was, guys. So don't miss this. Tune in for a little bit longer because I'm going to make this point in the next few verses of what the law was for. It didn't go against God's purpose. It served its purpose for its time. So anyway, he says, look at verse 22. But the scripture have concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith uh, which should afterwards be revealed. So we were in bondage. Paul calls it in, in chapter five, the yoke of bondage. Um, Peter says, 
why tempt ye God to go back up under a law that neither you nor our fathers were able to bear? So would you rather be shut up away from the faith of God, kept under the law? Look at verse 24. Wherefore the Lord was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So what was the law in the beginning? It was a schoolmaster. It was just the beginning. It didn't have anything to do with the end. It was just how if you train a dog on a leash, you first get a dog, you keep him on the leash. And you, you know, because he's wild, he's reckless, he has no discipline. So it gave him some discipline. And then there comes a point where you and your dog have enough relationship. I hate to relate us to dogs, guys. I'm just making a point that we have enough of a relationship with the Lord that we can now say, you know, I mean, or with the dog, that the dog will obey you by nature. When you say dog rug, he goes to the dog rug. He doesn't beg and sniff for food because he knows when it's dinner time, you'll call him. So that puts a lot of peace around the dog to know I'm free and my master doesn't have to chain me up or discipline me because of the fact that I'm righteous, because I want to please my master. I want to do the things that he says. That's the difference between the new covenant and the old. So the Lord was a schoolmaster, but look at verse 25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So now that we have the spirit of God to believe in Jesus Christ by faith, we don't need a schoolmaster. Look at verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus calls the comforter, the, you know, the Holy Ghost, the comforter, who is to do what? To bring you and I into all truth and righteousness. Verse 27 says, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So if we get baptized in the spirit where God breathes on you, you know, then you can be, you've put on Jesus Christ. So now that Jesus Christ is in you, Jesus Christ can work through you. That's the whole experience, guys, of the new covenant. He says, look at verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. You hear that black Hebrew Israelite? There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male or female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So when he says there's neither male nor female, it means that God allows us all to be filled with his spirit and work. Now, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with a woman pastor because, you know, the Bible tells us that a woman cannot be a pastor. She can be an evangelist, she can be a teacher, and she can be a prophetess, but she cannot be an apostle and she cannot be a pastor. Those are offices that God has given men. He says, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over a man. So a, a, a pastor is kind of like a father of a church. You can't have a woman govern in that area because that gives her authority over all men. So let's understand that, okay? Everything has its perfect place as long as it's in proper headship with the Lord. Notice Jesus chose 12 disciples that became apostles. They were all men. Jesus himself came down as a man. I'm not pushing men above women. Everything has its divine order in Christ Jesus. And every true woman's heart is patriarchal where she will obey the order 
that God put things in. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God with the children in subjection. That is God's divine order. And the devil's trying very hard to destroy it and subdue it. So hopefully you guys understand tonight what the purpose of the old covenant was. It was refined, it was destroyed and brought into everything that Jesus Christ wants us to be today. Do I teach out of the Old Testament? Absolutely. You find many Old Testament examples that have everything to do with the gospel. So I'm not saying throw that away, but we must understand that if we're gonna be under the covenant of Christ, we've got to obey Jesus Christ. So what did you say, sister, if possible? Uh, what is your option about head covering for women? Do you have any teaching about that? Reason I ask is because I've heard two different sides, which typically happens with doctrine. Okay, so I'm gonna address this issue before we close, sister, so hopefully you're still on. Um, let's go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and let's address this matter and what Paul says because head covering itself has a lot to do with, you know, not the head covering, but the proper order that God wants things to be in. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 11, let's look at verse one. He says, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you brethren that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know, that the head of every man is Christ and uh, the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. So as you know, why is Paul bringing this up? Paul is bringing this up because he wants people to understand the order and how things go. It's important that we catch that first. So then it says in verse four, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if uh, she were shaven. So Paul first brought up the order, then he brought up head coverings. He's speaking of the old covenant to make a New Testament example. It's just how the old temple was made or the old tabernacle for a specific purpose. And as we talked about many times tonight, what it was symbolic for that we can bring forward the new covenant. But let's just keep that in mind. Look at verse six. But if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. So Paul is bringing up the Old Testament to make a New Testament example. For look at verse seven, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head. For as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. So Paul is expressing why in the Old Testament the women had to be covered and why if they understood the order today, what the true purpose of. Man is made in the image and glory of God. And the woman is the glory of the man. This is the purpose for it, but he says, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. So what was it for? It was to show people in the Old Testament what the proper order was. So he says, for a man or not to cover his head. I mean, for a man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. 
Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought a woman to have power on her head because of the angels. He's speaking of power. That word for power is the Greek word exousia, which means what? Authority. So this is speaking of authority. This is not talking about the old rituals of covering your head. Let's make this point. We're gonna continue with this. He says, nevertheless, uh, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. So what is the point? Adam was the first man. God took Adam's rib, made Eve. She is called womb Anne because she came out of the womb of a man. So look at this in verse 13. He says, um, oh, verse 13. He says, judge in yourselves. It is comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered. Okay, so he says it's comely that they do that. Oh, well, he says, is it? Comely that a woman prays unto God uncovered. So Paul, they're asking the question and Paul is answering. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? Now, this is an absolute fact. He's talking about hair. A man having long hair is a shame unto him, but also a man having a, a true authority over him outside of Jesus Christ, the man dishonoreth his head because the head of every man is Christ, but he did give pastors, apostles, apostles, uh, pastors, evangelists, teachers, and and you know prophets for the perfecting of the saints. So God gave them to us so that we could submit ourselves to them to learn. But that doesn't mean that that man, that that pastor, is that man's head. He's simply a shepherd to guide them into the fullness of Christ. A woman cannot be a pastor, so she needs a covering whether it be ministry or any other thing. But look at what it says here in verse 15. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her for her hair is given her for a covering. So if you go according to hair, the woman's hair is meant to be long because it's a covering. That's the only covering she needs, but it's really symbolic for a woman being up under proper headship concerning a man. But he says in verse 16, this, this really sums it up. He says, but if any man seem to be contentious, if you're fighting and striving over this, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. There's no custom about head covering in the churches of God. So that answered your question, sister, hopefully, that you understand that they were symbolic for being covered righteously, okay? The, the head covering in the Old Testament was only meant to show a woman is subject, you know, to the to the authority of the men in the church. Okay. And you know, he said you can use hair for that example. A man's hair, if it's long, it's a shame unto him because God meant for men to be men. And some people assume that all these men had long hair. If you look at the Nazarite vow, they were only allowed to be that way for a certain period of time. And then when their obedience was fulfilled in righteousness, their hair was clipped. So the hair was an example. It wasn't meant for men to grow long hair and keep long hair. That's not biblical. You see, and people assume that it is because they say Jesus had long hair. Well, let me ask you, did Jesus sit down for a portrait? Did he pose and try and get his best side so that people can see who he was? Absolutely not. 
So I don't even believe that Jesus had long hair. Okay, if Paul is saying it's a shame that you do. But as you can see, if any man be contentious over this, we have no such custom, neither do the churches of God. Men and women need to be in their proper order concerning the Lord. And that's really what sums it up. Okay, so sister, hopefully that answered your question. All right, so I just wanna say to people out there, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, then you can give your life to Jesus Christ while there is still time. Repent of your sins, believe in his death, burial and resurrection, that he died for your sins. Ask for forgiveness and walk away from your sins. Get baptized, spend time with the Lord, get into his word and you will receive the Holy Ghost of God when he breathes on you and he sees that the time is fit. You've got to press in if you wanna get baptized in the spirit. Jesus said, if you seek, ask and knock, it shall be given unto you. And you can live a life that is fruitful, born again, doing the things that Jesus Christ says to do, and he will wash away your sins just as if they never were. That's the same thing he did with the Old Old Testament. Wiped it away so that it was like it never existed because God meant for men and women to be holy. So, you know, let's pray out and then from there we'll go right into prayer. I mean, well, let's pray out and from there we'll conclude. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God that is able to save our souls. And we ask in Jesus' name that all the hearers, Lord, will be blessed, that their eyes will be opened, that they may take to heart the things that were said tonight. And Lord, if there's anything that I said in error, Lord, I pray and I ask that you forgive me. And Lord, I pray that you will glorify through this message that all eyes on Jesus is all we need to do. I pray for a heavy anointing over the people of God, for those who want the truth, for those who are your holy remnant, I pray in Jesus' name that you breathe on them, that you pour unto them, that they may be the saints of the Most High, they may go out and win souls. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, guys, so that's gonna wrap it up for tonight. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. Subscribe to the channel if you like it, if if you desire to hear more of the teachings. If not, you have the free will right to do so. Tomorrow night's teaching is gonna be called The First Church, okay? The First Church, where we're going to examine it, the first church of God, and I believe we're gonna get some understanding. We're even gonna hear a clip of Pastor Gary Price, which I think is gonna put some emphasis on what's wrong with the church of God, and you know that he's gonna give you the truth so uh, tomorrow, that, that teaching on the first church will be uh, 7.30 p.m. Pacific time, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. And I just want to say again, I'm Minister Derek Hallett. I love you all. Don't forsake your prayer closets. The more you pray, the more you get into the God's word, you become more like Christ. If we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So I uh, love you, sister. Um, People want to send messages right now. I love you, uh, Sister Beloved, uh, Brother Kevin, Sister Sarah, Sister Tara, and whoever else was listening in tonight. I just want to say I love you all until tomorrow at least. Have a good night. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 